Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yep, that's right, Jake. The gopher didn't see his shadow. Here we go. Hey, if you are a guest today, or maybe you've not been here the last several weeks, we are journeying through the book of Philippians. I personally am loving this series. We're chasing joy. You know, not just the gopher that didn't see his shadow, but uh, it's been a busy week over the last week. Let me recap, if I can, just a bit. Last Sunday was this, the Taylor Swift, I mean the Super Bowl. That was last Sunday. Then uh, Valentine's Day was Wednesday night, right? Valentine's Day, fun day, celebrating love. Listen, our, our family has done this. It's kind of become a, a new tradition for us for the last several years, probably five or six years. We watch staff kids, so a bunch of cute kids in our house so moms and dads can go out and enjoy a date night together because uh, it's fun. We have fun with cute kids. It's a win, 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 uh, including, you know, then Dawn and I aren't out paying for an overpriced meal in an overcrowded restaurant like the rest of you suckers on Valentine's Day as well. And, uh, but it's all kinds of fun. This past Wednesday night, I'm kind of watching, I think we had 10 kids-ish plus a couple of our own. There's a whole beehive of activity going on. I just stopped and I thought, man, it's fun how seasons and life shifts and changes. I was thinking back to some of the early Valentine's days that Dawn and I had back when we were dating, including one of our first Valentine's Day celebrations. We did a double date with Mike and Rachel. In all fairness, this was Mike's idea. He's the hopeless romantic well, I showed up. And uh, so the idea was we're going to go buy these tickets from a train. How many of you have been on a train ride before? In the Midwest, we don't do a lot of commuting on trains, but this was a train, Amtrak. And this is back in the days when you bought a ticket, you punched the ticket. It was the physical ticket, not the online app stuff. We dropped a car in Springfield, Illinois. Drove down together, separate cars, left a car there, drove back, bought a one-way ticket from Lincoln, Illinois, showed up at the depot, get on the train, and the conductor, this is back in the day, black hat, black outfit, comes along, let me see your ticket, pulls out a punch thing and punches the ticket. Here's your ticket back. Settle back and enjoy the ride. My fear is that too many Christians view their Jesus-following life through the same lens. I showed up. I bought the ticket. I raised my hand. I prayed a prayer. I asked Jesus to save me from my sins. I was baptized into Christ. I've punched my ticket. Now I'm just going to settle back enjoy the ride, maybe fall asleep, wake me up when we get to the final destination. I've punched my ticket. I'm good, right? The text we're leaning into today pushes back strongly at that idea. 
The phrase that we're getting ready to read, well, Paul tells the Philippian church, and Jesus would tell us today, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's this idea that salvation is process-oriented. Yes, Jesus saved me from my sins, but, oh, he's still in the process of saving me, maybe from myself. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The title of today's message is Window to the Soul. We see a window to Paul's soul. He shares some stuff here. It's a window to our soul, the state of our soul, the state of the affairs. Have we just punched the ticket and now we're settled back, enjoying the ride, wake me up when I get there? Window to the soul. Here's the big idea. If you're taking notes today, maybe you've got that Philippians journal open. Write this down in the margins. Carefully live your life so that you can carefully shine your light. Let's see where that's coming from. If you want to read with me, I'm in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, grab that Philippians journal if you brought that with you today. Maybe reach under the seat in front of you. Pull out that Bible if you don't have a Bible with you. Philippians 2, verse 12. Check this out. Therefore, pause. He said a whole bunch of stuff that gets us to this point, including last week we studied the Christ hymn, this beautiful worship song sung in the early church. By the way, that third song we just sang, that's the message today. That third song, make me more like Jesus, not just the day that I had my ticket punched, but make me more like Jesus each and every day. Continue to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, he's writing to this church that he loves. He's calling that out. I love you, therefore I will speak truth to you in love. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to talk about that phrase. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, we're going to talk about that, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, we're going to talk about that. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Some of you are saying, preach it, preach it, preacher, I want to hear about that twisted generation. Well, Hold on to that thought. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Make the juice worth the squeeze, he's saying. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all y'all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. One of the things that interests me so much about Paul's writings is that he's intensely practical. He always relates doctrine and duty. He relates creed and character. He relates faith and life. These are inseparable. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a bit of a thought progression that's happening in this passage we're getting ready to study through together. 
It's like he begins with a big idea like a thesis statement, and then he wraps around it all of the thoughts that are supporting of that big idea, clarifies that big idea, gives action steps with that big idea. So I want to view the rest of the message, if we can, as a thought bubble. Picture like a cartoon, a thought bubble, and all of the other thoughts around it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Here's the big idea, the thought bubble. Continue to work out your salvation. It's process-oriented. It's not just that I ask Jesus to be Savior and so I can get my ticket punched and settle back and enjoy the ride. Yes, there's that. But he wants to not just be my Savior, but he also desires to be my Lord. He's the boss in every area of my life. I don't know about you, but there are still some areas in my life where his lordship needs to be brought to the preeminent position. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, other translations, add that word in there, continue. Why? Because it's there in the original language. It's process-oriented. You haven't arrived. This is the now and the not yet. Salvation is process-oriented. It's found right there in the tense of the verb. Let's continue with this thought exercise. Continue to work out your own salvation. He goes on to say, I'm paraphrasing, with both kinds of obedience. Both kinds? Yeah, it's detailed for you right there in the text. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. If you've ever been a parent, you know exactly what he's talking about. If you've ever been a kid growing up in a house with a mom who had eyes in the back of her head, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you spent time in a classroom with a teacher who could catch you and know that spitball was coming even before you thought to do it. You know what I'm talking about, both kinds of obedience. There's obedience watched, catch you being good, will catch you being bad. Obedience watched. This is a common form of obedience. This is probably immediately where our, our minds go to when we think about this concept of obeying. But only when others are around, when somebody can catch me being bad. Paul doesn't want just that kind of obedience from the people that he's writing to in Philippi. He's calling them beyond that. He would call that kind of obedience, oh, I service. There's this passage. There's this letter he writes to the church in Colossae. He's been giving instruction and encouragement, exhortation to wives, to husbands, to children, to fathers. And because there's some folks in that Roman colony who had just asked Jesus to be Savior, lordship was a big deal to them, you see, because they were slaves. They had an earthly master. He gives specific instruction to that group of people in Colossians verse 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. You're going to do this to honor Jesus. And do it not only when their eye is on you, they're going to watch you to win their favor through some kind of a political move to gain more favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Obedience, not just when you're being watched, but there's another kind of obedience, and you know what I'm talking about. 
It's when you're alone. Are you obedient to God? Do you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Not just when you're being watched, but also when you don't think anyone is watching. I like this quote from J.C. Watts. He says, character is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. There are too many people who think that the only thing that's right uh, to get by and the only thing that's wrong is to get caught. Hmm. I was, uh, this past week, oh, while you were watching the Super Bowl, my two brothers and I were in a truck driving to Columbia, Missouri. I told you last week briefly, one of my uncles passed away. We went to be a part of that visitation and that funeral. We got to our hotel in Columbia just as that last field goal got kicked and it went into overtime. So we got to watch the Super Bowl. It was awesome. The last 15 minutes, we were there for it. The next morning we got up and we went to the visitation and the funeral and there were so many things about that experience that it was a blessing to get to be there. It was a, a life well lived and a, it was an incredible celebration of life. But for my money, maybe my favorite moment of the day between the visitation right before the funeral started, I, I, it was kind of wall to wall, ton of people there. The gal that I find myself standing next to, I kind of, we, we were kind of stuck in the line and I introduced myself and she introduced herself and I said, well, how did you know my uncle? She said, well, I, I'm, I'm a cashier, or was anyway, a cashier at Lowe's Home Improvement Warehouse. My uncle was a general contractor. He spent time there. He would run in to buy whatever had gotten forgotten that day for the job site maybe. And he, she said, I, I learned just this morning that he had passed away. And man, I'm going to miss him. He was always so kind to me. He didn't have to be. But he was. I'm going to miss him. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, live in such a way that a Lowe's cashier shows up to your funeral. Be obedient to God's call on your life, not just when you think people are watching when you're standing in the spotlight with bright lights hitting you, but put your life on display as an act of worship for God even when you don't think anyone is looking. Obedience, both kinds. Here's our thought progression. Let's make it personal now, shall we? I want to continue to work out my own salvation with both kinds of obedience, both watched and alone, while both of us, God and I, are pulling on the oars. Wait a minute, Stan, I thought we were using a train analogy here. You're punching a ticket. Now you're talking about a rowboat. What? Yeah. Well, have you ever, have you ever spent time in a rowboat? Let me see your hands. Have you ever been out in the middle of a lake on a rowboat? Yeah. You got to pull both oars, right? Otherwise, you end up going in a circle. I had this experience years ago when I was a youth pastor. I had two kids in my youth group. I loved them dearly. Both of them are, were, uh, how do you say it, A-D-H-H-H-H-H-D. One of them, his name is Frankie, and uh, he had not taken his meds that morning. We're in the bus or the car. We're on our way, the van. We're on our way to, it's literally called the Current River in the Ozarks in Missouri. He had not taken his medicine, and he said, that's okay. Uh, it's the same thing. Sometimes mom lets me drink Mountain Dew instead. He comes out of the gas station with a case of Mountain Dew. 
and proceeds to pound like 12 cans of these. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, he's going to have to go to the bathroom. And I thought, well, we're going to be on the river. That's his business. But he's drinking 12 of those. That might be my business. Uh-oh. He paired up with a buddy named Gage. <laughs> Every time I saw them the rest of the day, one of them's on this side of the boat doing this. The other one's on this side of the boat doing this. Usually they're fighting each other, and they're literally going down the river like this the whole way. It provided all kinds of entertainment. I had a ball watching them argue and bicker that day. But that's not how you want to live your life. That's not a productive way to go down the stream, the river of life. Pulling on both oars. That's what we're aiming for here. Continue to work out your own salvation with both kinds of obedience. While both of us, God and I, are pulling on the oars. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, let me caution real quick before I go any further. Hear me clearly. Don't miss this. You can't earn your way into God's good graces. If you're the only one pulling on that oar, you're going to go in circles. You cannot earn your way into God's good graces, but you do pull on an oar. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. You don't just punch your ticket, say, I'm in, I'll kick up my feet, I'll see you in heaven. Now he says, pull on an oar. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You pull on an oar, you must work out your salvation. Now note, Paul does not say work for your own salvation. He doesn't say that. That would be against the gospel message. What does it say in the Bible? It is finished. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He did the work. You don't work for your own salvation, but he said, work out your own salvation. He's already done the work, but you need to engage in the process. He's still saving me. He saved me, but he's still saving me, sometimes from myself. By the way, you cannot work out what has not been worked in. He's already started this process. He wants you to engage in the process moving forward. This verb for work here in the original language, it's in the present active continuous form. In other words, it's actually saying God who is actively in the process of working in you. He saved me. He is still saving me. Sometimes from myself. God is so good. He's been doing this for his kids for a very long time. We actually see this in the language, even in the first sermon preached the day the church was birthed. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he's standing up in front of a large group of people and he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. God is pulling on an oar, but you need to grab one as well. You need to actively participate in this process. Do something. Make your faith active. 
If you look at one of the letters he wrote a little bit later in life, the Apostle Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he says this. Look at this language. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. In other words, grab an oar. You can't earn your way to God, but you can actively participate in your own salvation. By the way, as you do this, you must have fear and trembling in working out your own salvation. Well, what does that mean? This is a colloquial phrase. This would have been a Hebrew phrase that during that time and definitely before that time would have been said almost as a colloquial saying. This fear and trembling phrase is actually a Hebrew expression that's saying being awed by the goodness of God. I'm awed by what he does. I'll point out to you a couple of places where this happens. Do you remember the story in your New Testament when Jesus is walking through a crowd and he feels power go out from him and he turns around? There's a lady she's been bleeding, I think it's for 12 years. She reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. Look what the text says. The woman, fearing and trembling, was she afraid? A little bit, but she's kind of awed. She's overwhelmed with God's goodness, knowing what had happened to her. And she falls down and she worships before Jesus. Fear and trembling. Awe, deep respect, overwhelmed by the goodness of God. I'm healed. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 9. God speaks this to Jeremiah. Then it shall uh, be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide. This right kind of fear is the beginning of understanding. The fear of the Lord is described over and over again. Let's go old, old school in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you look at chapter 8, the fear of the Lord will cause one to hate evil. Proverbs chapter 10 says, the fear of the Lord will prolong your life. Proverbs 14 says, the fear of the Lord provides strong confidence. Proverbs 16 says, the fear of the Lord prompts one to depart from evil. Proverbs chapter 19 says, the fear of the Lord leads to a satisfying life. And Proverbs 22 says, the fear of the Lord is actually the way to riches and honor and the good life. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Pull on an oar. But note this. It maybe goes without saying, but I need to say it anyway. God. God definitely pulls on an oar. Actually, if you were to kind of rate the energy that goes into this, maybe think of it this way. If you're right-handed, God has that oar. And you're providing maybe this much of the energy God's providing. He has saved you. Now, participate in your own salvation. God pulls on an oar. And notice the ways that God works in you. It's to will. In other words, God helps us in our desire. He even helps us in our motivation to do his will. And also to work. You might even put the word to do in there. God works right alongside together with us. We're both pulling on an oar here. Unless, 
unless you approach your Christian life the same way one of those churches in the book of Revelation approached their life with Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, you're lukewarm. You're not hot or cold. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Pull on your oar. Participate in your own salvation. Some of you are business people. Uh, And you've done this thing where you've got a problem in your your business or your industry, and so you reach out, you scan the horizon, and you find the very best consultant, an expert, a a subject matter expert to help you with this problem. They're in and out of companies just like yours all over the country. They're a subject matter. They've got real-time examples of why you should do what they're asking you to do, what they're telling you to do. You've paid them to give you this advice. How egotistical, how much hubris is it when we say, you know what, I know my company better. I know my local environment better. I hear what you're suggesting, but I'm going to do it my way. I hear that you're a subject matter expert, but if it is to be, it's up to me. Don't approach your Christian life. You've got the creator God of the universe. He's already said, this is what I'm calling you to do. Do it. Don't overthink the way he's called you to live. Let's go back to our thought progression. Well, I'm going to continue to work out my own salvation with both kinds of obedience, both when I'm being watched and when I know that I'm alone. While both of us, God and I, we're pulling on those oars. I am participating in my salvation. I've been saved. He's still saving me without grumbling or disputing. Oh, boy. Without grumbling, without disputing. Maybe to put it in the vernacular of today, whining and complaining. What did the passage say in chapter or verse 14? Do all things, all things, all means all there, by the way, without grumbling or disputing. This is a problem that is as old as mankind, as old as history itself. Human nature kicks in. If you've read your Old Testament recently, perhaps you remember the story where God's people are rescued from slavery in Egypt. And they experience this much freedom. And they start grumbling. Paul references that history with a cautionary tale to his original audience and to us as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, check this out. Do not grumble as some of them did, those Old Testament Israelites, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples Let's, not, let's learn from their mistakes. Let's not make them ourselves and we're written down as a warning for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall as well. The very next verse. No temptation has tempted you. By the way, he's not saying you won't be tempted. But he's saying no temptation has tempted you except which is common to man. It happened to the ancient Israelites. It happened to this original audience 2,000 years ago. We're still being tempted by temptation today. But notice the promise. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He's pulling on the oar. You pull on yours as well. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, put it this way, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By the way, let me just point this out. You can do with this what you want. Disputing very quickly oftentimes follows grumbling. I have discovered oftentimes it's the person that's kind of grumbling and mumbling under their breath and they're frustrated. Oftentimes that inside issue quickly becomes an outside issue. As they gripe and complain out loud, that's when disputing happens and that's when the harmony of the church family sometimes can get disrupted. Be careful not to let your grumbling turn into full-on disputing, wreaking havoc with the health of the Christian community you live in. Let's go back to our thought progression. Continue to work out your own salvation. No, let's make it personal. I will continue to work out my own salvation with both kinds of obedience, public and private. While both of us, God and I, are participating, I'm continuing to work out my salvation. I'm pulling on my or just like he is, without grumbling or disputing. I'm not going to whine, not going to complain, so that I can shine for him. Ah, this is what we're aiming for. This is what we want to see happen. There's a world out there that is desperate to see Jesus in us and through us. This is why we do this. This is why we don't just kick back and you've punched my ticket. I'll fall asleep. I'll wake up when I get to heaven. But God is still actively redeeming all creation and he wants to use you to shine his light so that others are drawn in a winsome way to him as well. Are you actively participating in your salvation? Are you shining like a light? What the text say, verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or in vain or labor in vain. He said, make me proud with what you do. I've invested deeply in you. I want you to shine as lights. Can I just quickly point out some application from those phrases? To shine as a light. First of all, we must be children of God without blemish. Don't overthink that. Nobody's perfect. But Jesus is redeeming us. The big fancy word here is sanctification. That third song we sang, we want to be more like Jesus. As he's saving us, still actively, not just saved, but saving, well, we become more like Jesus, which is more blameless. This is process-oriented. Aim for that. To shine as lights, we must be in the midst of a crooked and twisted. You might even say, and some translations do, perverse generation. Some of you are saying, yep, preach it, preacher. This generation is going to hell in a handbasket. I feel more and more discouraged every time I turn on the news. Some of you really want me to lean into that, and okay. Yeah, I see it. But could I quickly point out to you that this was written 2,000 years ago? It was a crooked and perverse generation then, and it is now as well. Christians, hear me clearly. Some of us make it a hobby of cursing the darkness when really Jesus would call us to light a match. 
I mean, you can spend time cursing the darkness or you can begin to shine and let Jesus' light shine in you, through you. That is valuable to the world that desperately needs to see. Lights are only valuable if they're used to dispel darkness. Jesus talks about this. Perhaps you remember this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Nope. Instead, they put it on its stand, and then it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he goes on to say, let your light shine before men. Why? So that you get puffed up and proud. No, 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 no. So that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Put your light on display. He has saved you. Continue to actively participate in your continuing salvation. He's still saving you from yourself. There's a tension to manage here, by the way, between that corrupt generation and your own personal holiness. He didn't call us to be Amish, to sequester ourselves. He wants us in the midst of darkness. This is not a problem to solve with a black and white solution. Well, I'm going to stay away or I'm just going to give up and I'm going to live like that. No, no, no. This is a tension to manage. How are you doing in that tension? When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell students, God actually wants you at that party. He actually wants you in that dark space, in the locker room, wherever that is. And I know that's difficult. But if you're a Jesus follower, he wants you to shine your light in dark places, but it's a tension to manage. If you know you're not strong enough to be in that space, if you know that simply by entering into that space you're going to succumb to temptation, well, your light just got extinguished. This is a tension to manage. Can you handle that level of darkness? And if so, get in there. Shine your light brightly. Jesus said clearly in John chapter 17, his last meal, we just celebrated this in communion. He said to his disciples, my prayer is not to take you out of the world, but to protect you from the evil one. I want you shining light in dark spaces. To do that, though, what do the texts say? We must hold fast. Other translations actually use the word forth, hold forth, hold fast, and hold forth to the word of life. There's a passage in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This is holding fast. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Hold fast, study, obedience to God's word, but also hold forth, show God's word, put it on display, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus said to them, go into all the world, and by the way, all means all, even the darkest spaces, and preach the good news to all creation. Hold fast and hold forth. When our kids were little, we have a, a God child who when he was little, he couldn't say Statue of Liberty. He would say Statue of Litterby. It was a joke in our family, kind of a fun thing to say. We got to visit the statue of Litterby, Liberty a few years ago. And um, I remember standing there just being struck by what that represents, the statue of Liberty. It's holding fast. It's showing the way. Come this way to freedom. It's also holding forth. It's offering hope to your poor, your tired, your huddled masses 
to those in need. We're called to act as lights in the world. And this, by the way, this brings joy. What did the text say? So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's end this thought progression here. I'm going to continue to work out my own salvation with both kinds of obedience, both public and private, while both of us, God and I, are pulling on the oars. He has saved me. I'm going to actively participate in my salvation without grumbling, without disputing, so that I can shine for him. This is an act of worship. I'm going to put him on display, shining in me and through me, all the while rejoicing in my sacrifices. Wait a minute. That's not very American consumerism of us, is it? Paul is writing this knowing, what does the text say? That he's getting ready to be poured out like a drink offering. This is where this gets a little bit weird to our American ears. Let's read it. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad. I rejoice. We're chasing joy, remember, all through this book. Sixteen times we see that word. Here's one of them. I'm going to sacrifice. He's literally talking about life and death here. Remember chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm going to do this as an act of worship for my God. I'm also doing it for you, to his readers. Likewise, you also should be glad. And here it is again. Rejoice with me that I get to sacrifice to that level. By the way, he did. Could I just challenge you with this? You might be invited to be the sacrifice. That's part of what process-oriented salvation looks like. He saved me. He's still in the process of saving me. Some of that is me letting go of everything that I hold dear, maybe even my life for him. But that's okay because it can bring you joy. By the way, the paragraph that I just spoke, there's at least a week's worth of meditative work to do on that. And I want to invite you into that process with this encouraging note from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For what is our hope our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? We shine our light. We put our lives on display. We continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for Jesus to shine a light so that the world can see him in us and through us. Can we put our thought progression back on the screen? And can we go back to where we started? Can we think about that whole idea of punching a ticket? Have you done that? Have you punched your ticket? Have you settled back? And let me just kind of wake me up when we get there. If so, could I challenge you right now that you are missing out on a whole lot of the journey? Jesus wants to redeem some things in your heart that need redeemed. Could I invite you right now to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Would you stand up with me? As you do that, would you pick one of these action steps? 
What is it in here that you know you have room to grow in this week? Double down on that effort, that energy. Invite Jesus to do that work in you to continue to work out your salvation, both of you pulling on the oars together. We're going to sing a worship song in response. We're going to double down. And it's going to be an act of worship before our God. Would you bow your heads with me and would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for these challenging, encouraging, even confusing words written 2,000 years ago that are designed to inform the way we live our lives today. Lord, we, we don't want to be guilty of punching a ticket and just saying, well, I'm out, I'm done. Let the world burn around me. Lord, we invite you to continue to do the work of salvation to continue to do the work of saving me even from myself. And I invite you into that process right now, this week, this moment, as we sing, as we worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen.